Hello, and welcome back to the Liberty Blues. I'm Sean Osborne. And I'm John Phillips, defense attorney from the deep red state of Indiana. Yes, indeed. And we're lucky enough to be joined today by Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. Uh, and Steve's joining us too. There he's popping in there. I love it. So how's it going, Mr. Harrington? Everything is wonderful. Yeah, so uh, he, uh, Mr. Harrington's just off of a uh, off of a uh, run for uh, you were running for Senate, right? Against yes, Tom sir. Cotton. So how how did that uh, how did that end up going? And I, I, obviously you're not Senator Harrington, or we'd be extremely excited today. But <laughs> yes, um, for a race that was going to be a four way race, ended up being a two way race between Senator Cotton and myself. And I got about uh, thirty-three percent of the vote, um, so it was wow. it was a whirlwind. Uh, my wife, she was active duty, and so I had my three children at the time. Oh man! So running a full-time statewide <laughs> campaign, raising my three children. Uh, so it was, uh, I thank God for the strength that I I was able to make it through it. Um, but it was it was eye-opening. Um, Apparently, there's there's a lot of new libertarians in in Arkansas. I love that. Extremely humbling. It's extremely humbling. Yeah, you know, I I, I watched uh, when I first heard you were running. I was I was very excited about it, and then when I heard it was the just you versus him. It was glorious. I really wanted to see that debate, but you know, he chickened out. So, yes, I was. He denied me my right as a man to mutual combat. Yeah, yeah, you sure did. <laughs> uh, you know, that was good PBS. I was glad that they gave you uh, airtime for the whole time then to to talk your talk your piece about it. Arkansas PBS has always been pretty uh, straight down the line when it comes to those debates. They, they're not getting involved in any of that. You know, uh, party, party media shenanigans that go on. They keep their integrity, and and I'm deeply grateful for them. Yeah, that that was really great. Uh, so, how how long have you been a libertarian? Or how I guess how 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 did you uh how did you come to be a libertarian? Well, I left China as a missionary, and um, that was during 2016 when we came back. Um, and I was watching things from afar uh, go on in our our country. And, uh, you know, I always tell people I've always had a liber little libertarian leaning before I was a Democrat. Uh, and um, 2016, someone told me, hey, check out Gary Johnson. Started checking out Gary Johnson and looking into the party and the stances a little bit more. And, and I fit, uh, for me personally, I feel a little, uh, fit more just in the party. And um, everyone tries to say, we'll try to change it from within. but when you try to do that, there's so many temptations along the way that you forget what you started to go out to do because you get trapped in all the, you know, you know what what's going on. We we yeah. have, we have a kleptocracy. Um, yeah, and that's I just don't want to be a part of that. Right. You know, for me, it was the uh, censorship back in the late '90s with the PMRC and the music stuff. And that's that's what sent me flying right out of the Democrat Party myself. I just I couldn't stand with censorship. You know that was as a as an artist. You know that was that was entirely too much. 
I, I want to mention something, and this is this is the road that I'm trying to travel here. Is that whenever we want to critique something, we try to separate uh, the people from the idea, and we try to get more people to do that. I have that ability to conceptualize something, to think about it, to entertain the thought without internalizing the thought, and especially when it comes to criticism, because if you don't word it right, people will take it as an attack. But the the attack should be on the institution, the system, uh, not the people who happen to you know wear a particular hat or whatever. And I think if we start moving in that direction, we'll we'll have a little bit more ground uh, covered um, in in the way that we message things. Yeah, you know that's that's messaging to the individual. That's that's one of the things I really love about libertarianism is it doesn't really play groupthink as like everybody else does. It talks to the individual about uh, you know personal responsibility and stuff like that. Yes. Um, so you were so how long were you a missionary in China? Two years, just about two years. What part of China were you in? All over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in uh a couple of different provinces. Um Hunan, Shanxi, Guangzhou. Uh, is that is is that is one of the one of those ones you just said there? I'll I'll mess it up. Is that where the, the Uyghur stuff's happening with the camps over there? That's in Xinjiang. Shenzhen. That's in west, western uh, China, northwest. So I, 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 I'd forgotten you had done that. I'd seen you talk about that before. Uh, but I, so what, what did you see of that uh, communist or fascist system they got going on over there? Well, it's a it's authoritarian state that they have. There's a, a lot of things people told me in private that they wouldn't say in public. Oh, absolutely. It would uh, be very bad for them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I tell people a story, I tell them a story about missionaries that we replace, that they did not have their contract renewed because they refused to stop having Bible studies in their apartment. So whenever you have people that are missionaries that go to certain dangerous places and they come back to America, um, there's a certain type of criticism that we develop. Um, towards American Christianity. I, I remember one of the first things I did whenever I came back was put a glass under the faucet, turn the faucet on, drink the water from the faucet, and <laughs> just say how much of a luxury that is. Because I didn't do it for two years. Yeah. I guess there's parts of the U.S. you can't do that either, because I, I don't terribly like yeah. the Los Angeles tap water much, and you sure wouldn't want to in Flint. Yeah, there's still that issue going on in Flint. And I don't understand why it hasn't been fixed yet. Yeah, I heard there was another city. I can't remember where it was that they said their water is even worse than Flint. I was like, I didn't, I didn't think that was possible. But so, uh, what what other kinds of stuff? Like, you know, so so as a missionary, you couldn't technically uh, get together out in the open, right? Nope, and then sometimes they uh, they put it in contracts that you're not going to engage in religious activity. Um, over how, there, you, what, how do they? What do they think you're over there for then? I mean, if they're not going to do that, like what what are you what are you doing? They, they, they don't know. Uh huh. They just think um, it's an extend, extended vacation. 
they have a they have a well this this is how it kind of works over there they don't issue missionary visas uh -huh. i was a missionary in scotland for about a year and they issued a visa for me to go over there and engage in missionary work um, but i couldn't i couldn't get a job like a side job or anything like that just volunteer in china uh -huh. it's, it's illegal let's say i work at a uh a training school. I'm teaching English to uh, anyone from you know between the ages of three to sixties or or older person. I can only work at that place. And even if I had my employer's permission, it still would be illegal. And if I want to leave a job, I have to get my employer's permission before I can go get another job. Oh man. So, so when people talk about communism over here in the United States, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Just shut up. <laughs> hey, Mr. Harrington, uh, John Phillips here. Uh, since we're on the subject of religion, I'd like, like to know if you could say a few words about how your politics kind of relate to um, like the Democrat and Republican and the religion and you know how evangelicals are typically conservative and how you square your religion kind of with your libertarianism well you you know honestly most of us whenever we're just becoming adults we're finding out who we are as a person and finding out who we are in community and so you know family black democrat um when i started going to a, a program like aim and i went to harding university you know there weren't any democrats there and uh I remember like telling somebody I was a Democrat and they were like, oh, you, you one of them baby killers, huh? And you'll have to forgive my dramatization uh, on that. But it, to me, it's extremely dangerous uh, mixing, you know, our religion so like that with politics. Um, you know, Christianity in, 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 the, in the Bible tells us that we, are in the world, but we are not of it. And um, for me, I'm just trying to do the best I can to make this place a little bit better. Uh, my entire hope is not in our governmental system. My, you know, what I mean by hope, I mean entire hope. You know, my existence, what gives meaning to who I am as a person, uh, it is not our government, not our political system. It's in Jesus Christ. Right. And so it's a fine line uh, to, to walk that um, because, yes, there, there are a lot of people that, that claim to be Christian in America, and it's easy for people that are power hungry to manipulate that. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's interesting because I don't really see it becoming the way that it was in medieval times because that's the reason why it's written like that at the founding of our country because it's a little bit fresher on their mind of you know the things that happened in uh, medieval europe and some of the things that happened in colonial america but to to make a to see some type of comparison for our modern times uh, the church and state relationship would be uh, the state and commerce. Right. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, that's one thing 
thing when people because it's you know people have religious values as long as they're trying to those together and just make the place better because that's what government at times is to give one group the power to hold down or oppress another group you know just because they're a minority of thought or of some other thing you know race or whatever you know thought process so that i've always found libertarianism it see you know it allows you to do you and your your religion the way you want and and leaves you to to your own uh what do you call it to your own accord yes um my time is chaplain prisons I worked extensively with the, the Muslim population. And, um, you know, I didn't believe their beliefs, but I had an obligation to, to help facilitate them to worship in a way that uh, is prescribed to them by the Quran or what, whatever bona fide religious belief that they have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there were Wiccans in the prison. There were all different kinds. Odinists. Uh, Really? Just a whole slew of different religions there. <laughs> and, um, you know, we just need to live and let live until people cross a line. We all know yeah. what that line is. <laughs> You're taking my stuff. You're trying to harm us, physically harm us, or, or, or there's various, various different types of harm. And just disagreeing with me is not harm. If you disagree right. with my lifestyle, you're not harming me. But if you show up on my front yard with tiki torches and other stuff, that's something. <laughs> yeah, that, then there's a problem. <laughs> yes, that's something different. Yeah. So, so how long were you a prison chaplain? Almost four years. Well, let's see. I worked at the prison almost four years. Is that that's um, after the missionary work? Yes, that was. Uh, uh, go ahead. And your father was a prison chaplain too, right? I think you said. He, um, he was a correctional sergeant. He worked oh, in okay. secure, security. And uh-huh. uh, I never thought I'd do this. My dad told me so many stories. Uh, I never wanted to work in prison. Um, don't get in trouble, all of that stuff. Um, he, that was like the front row seat, the scared straight. Um, yeah, <laughs> I bet it was. So. We're working in there. That's when uh, I I assume some of that might have had uh, a little bit of a uh, an eye opening to like say the war on drugs and that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, what what's like your message uh, 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 for people who are you know you're running for governor? What's your message about the war on drugs there in Arkansas? I've been anti-war on drugs uh, as long as I've been a political animal. Um. There, there are a lot of people that are in prison that shouldn't be for drug possession. And um, the senior chaplain, I don't know what this young man's charge was, but um, he got a little time, I mean, little time. And it was compared to the time that other folks were serving at Cummins, uh, he had a little time, two, three years. Mm-hmm. He did some, it's hard to, it's hard when you are incarcerated, to stay out of trouble. Obviously, because everybody's in there is, is a criminal, so to speak, unless they're innocent in there. And there's all different kinds of games. There's all different kinds of 
drug trafficking and things like that. So it's hard to do your best to, to just stay straight because uh, sometimes people uh, go after those youthful inmates and uh, turn them out, turn them into little boys is, is the prison lingo for that. And so this young man, I don't know what he did, but he ended up in punitive isolation and he was there back there with somebody that was dangerous. And that inmate threatened, said, hey, I want to be in this cell by myself. Don't, don't leave him in here. I'm going to kill him. And uh, security staff just uh, disregarded it. And um, sometime later, the man was uh, bamming on the cell. Hey, 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 come in here. Come in here. Get this boy. He's dead. He killed him. Damn. Short time, two, three years. Hmm. Yeah, you know, just the injustices that happen, just, you know, th those, you know, those, those are the kind of things that very rarely make the news, you know, it's, you know, all the people who are abused <laughs> in the prisons no and stuff. You have, no, you have no idea, man. Yeah, another, another one of my good friends, she's a, she was a, a prison guard in, in one of the prisons in Indiana as well. So she, she had a slew of stories that she could fill me in on as well. It's, it's rough, I'm telling you. Um, you know, the death penalty. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, interesting topic for me because I participated in eight of them in that short time I was there. Whenever uh, Arkansas uh, tried to execute eight inmates in 11 days. Oh, I remember that. Uh, myself, three of the chaplains were there to provide services uh, to both the victim's family and the family of the condemned oh man and so for me at night i'd be going to uh, be available for the victim's family and during the daytime uh, we still had our obligation to the families of inmates and the staff and so you're in a in a situation where you're required to to provide a service for someone uh regardless of well this is inmate right here this is uh, somebody we're about to execute, or this is the, the victim's family right here. I was focused on completing my goal of being of service to people who are dealing with uh, just a difficult time. And it's, it's beyond a difficult time. Yeah. It's, that's an understatement. And I don't, I don't really see it so cut and dry. As I, I had a conversation with uh, a woman whose son was incarcerated on drug charges, and uh, he would do his best to stay out of general population. And she told me on the phone that she believed uh, her son was incarcerated because of his sister. His sister was murdered, and it was uh -huh. some type of brutal murder. Some dude came up in there and shot. Uh, her daughter was babysitting some children. This is a story she told me. Um, shot everyone up there and shot her daughter and uh, the bullet went through her and hit the baby in the head that she was trying to run away with. And this person that did that was put on death row and later executed. And um, she said that the dude wrote her a letter and said, that he's made his peace with what he's done and he knows that God has forgiven him and whenever they execute him and he's dead, he's going to go up to heaven and sit right beside her daughter. Oh, man. 
um, I don't know if that sounds like a person who was remorseful to even say that. No. Well, man, that'd, that'd be a rough roller coaster to have to ride talking to both sides like that. I mean, for that woman right there. Yeah, that's um, terrible. He just robbed her of everything. Yeah. Uh, of what any type of justice that, you know, we think that we get from uh, executing people that have done heinous crimes. Um, but, you know, we, we've got yeah. to find a way to, <laughs> to do as best as we can to make this. Uh, 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 it's not really a good world, but as good as we can make it. Right on. Yeah. So what about, what about say education in, in Arkansas? What, what, uh, what kind of plans you want to shoot out there for the education system over there to keep kids out of the, out of those prisons? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what we need. We need mentorship programs. Um, we need people to in, invest in our children. We, we have a, we have a problem. Well, if we think if we, we chunk enough money at something, the problem goes away. That's not the case. You know what a child needs? A child needs someone that's a good role. If you're a plumber, or if you have a skilled trade, and uh, you have a you know a family friend, young male, young female, um, take them under your wing. We need people too. This is, this is what we don't understand, is that the most valuable thing on this planet are people. Um, just the knowledge that we have, the experiences that we have, you know, we can always learn something from somebody else. I don't know everything. And I don't think any human knows everything, but each of us is specialized in some way. And if we could, I mean, there's, I've heard of this this one uh, gentleman speak at a graduation ceremony, something that his father said. He said he never let his schooling get in the way of his education. <laughs> we might need to take a look at how we can change the educational system to benefit, uh, you know, some of the children that are left behind. Because I think um, I was talking to someone that worked at a school for disabled children, and they were finding a correlation between those who are incarcerated also having dyslexia and, and other learning disabilities. And so we, we need to try to find a way to catch uh, the children at a young age. Uh, I mean, young little boys, they need to be, sometimes they get a little rambunctious and sitting down in, <laughs> in that chair all day and listening to somebody talk. I mean, how many adults can do that? Yeah, and many of us can do that right now, um, and just you know being creative and innovative with our educational system, and and learning how you know the procedural knowledge part of learning, and how we need to incorporate a little bit more of, of doing rather than sitting there and cramming our heads full of of the stuff in the books and taking the tests. It's a lot easier to remember something whenever you incorporate that book knowledge with actually doing it yeah have you ever read the book by john taylor gatto the um, weapons of mass instruction i have not 
He's he 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 was the guy. I don't know. It was back in the '90s. He got Teacher of the Year in New York City and New York State two or three years in a row. And they kept asking him how he did it, and they kept looking into him more. And he ended up quitting because he said he wasn't going to hurt children anymore and teach them the way that they wanted him to teach. And he had been doing things completely different than what the school system wanted. But he was extremely effective at teaching kids. And uh, you know, come to find out, I I. I was listening to an interview with him uh, and, you know, he ended up, he's a libertarian. So I was like, I, I got more into him. And I recently heard uh, Shane Hazel, who's, you know, he, you probably know him. He's running for governor of Georgia now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that was, that was the book that got him into libertarianism was uh, reading John Taylor Gatto. His idea of teaching people was to find out what you're good at and learn how to focus on that. And then as you expand that knowledge and the ability to learn how to work on that, you learn how to work on other things as well. But he was, he was really successful. That's, it's a fascinating book. I'd like to expound on uh, that idea of education. Yeah, people, are, people are afraid of, you know, oh, we're going to change educational system. Um, they're kind of afraid of that attached to that that money you know that check coming in and just perpetuating the same thing well I, as as you know governor uh, you know to the arkansas people i'm i'm not concerned about trying to tear down the system but opening up another avenue um for learning whether it be homeschool whether it be school choice um, we just need to put all the options on the table come together have a conversation and if school choice uh, is a is a good uh, oper- a good avenue for the people of Arkansas, let's do that. Um, if homeschool collectives, uh, cooperatives, are, are something that could uh, benefit children, uh, especially in rural areas where uh, you know they're closing the schools down, uh, we we just need more uh, options because we can't really have a solution if we're just teeter tottering between these two solutions here and it's a republican or a democrat solution and i don't really think that education is that no i agree so like how does the um department of education affect arkansas do you think because you know what we we want to most of us want to get rid of the department of education and bring it all back home like what what would you say well choice is the thing you know different people can pick the choice of what they learn like, how would you want to make that possible? You talking about federally? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. To get rid of the federal government. Like, how how has the federal government affected Arkansas? Do you think? I guess was my original question. Oh, I'm I'm not really uh, on that that level yet of of uh, abolish the Fed. Um, it mm. takes a it's a long way to that. Um, there's a couple of other agencies that I'm a little bit more hawkish on. Yeah. <laughs> that that would require, I mean, there's a big monster institution of education that we already have with a lot of people that are in student debt. And, you know, those loans are facilitated through the Department of Education. So yeah. First off, we need to get to, we need to first understand what the problem is. Once we understand what the problem is, then we can start formulating a solution to provide better outcomes. 
So that's that's where my thinking is on getting rid of some of the, the alphabet soup agencies that are in the executive branch. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could uh, peel off a list of those alphabets I'd like to get rid of. <laughs> yes, and some of them need to need to just go ahead and lay down and go to sleep. Yeah. So let's take a little break there and come back and talk a little bit more about the your run for governor then. All right. If you're looking for a way to get active in your community or you know financially, look at the Mises Caucus at TakeHumanAction.com. They like a bold libertarian messaging. And you can find a lot of great articles from the Mises Wire. Uh, they have podcasts you can link to that are all Mises-related. Uh, if you are somebody who's heard a lot about Austrian economics and you don't have any idea what that is, this is a great place to find out about that. So check out TakeHumanAction.com. Do that. Take some human action and get active in your community. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. I forgot before we uh, before we went into the break there. I forgot to ask uh, Steve. Did you have any questions about the education system or like any stuff like that? Like what's going on down there? Steve's a teacher as well. Yeah. Uh, hello, Mr. Harrington. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm a teacher here in Indiana, and Martin. Listen, I'm all for school choice. I teach at a public school, but I'm all for school choice. So whatever, whatever's going to help help the children, I think, is what's most important. My biggest fear is that there there's going to be a catastrophic teacher shortage soon, and I don't know how to fix that. I don't know if anybody knows how to fix that, and I don't know that anybody sees the 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 consequences that are that are up ahead yes yeah you know i teach i teach music uh so it's not quite like you know teaching in a school but yeah i i see the difference in the kids who actually go to public school and a lot of the kids who are um homeschooled or uh go to charter schools i see the difference in the way they absorb information a lot of times and uh and like, are you are you talking about because of the COVID stuff, Steve? Do you think there's going to be a shortage? No, no. I mean, in general, like, um, I know that, like Purdue University, for example, I'm I'm on uh, one of their their uh, teaching boards there, and kids today just don't want to be in education anymore. Like, there's a there's a serious shortage of teachers there's more teachers retiring than there are coming in mm. yeah i didn't say i had no idea that was even going on one of the biggest things that i talk about you know on the on the campaign trail and with others is of course occupational licensing oh yeah um of course we want people to be competent we want people to know their stuff mm-hmm but we don't want it to be so high to where, um, like there's a shortage of people, a shortage right. of teachers. Um, 
I was talking to a, a, a physician uh, last week, and we were talking about residency uh, problems. The problem, America is apparently going to have a physician shortage. We already have a physician shortage. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we don't have more physicians is because there's a cap on residency slots. And so through legislation and regulation, we have created the problem that we have today. And so we need people that are going to be public servants that are going to do their best to try to, you know, be a little forward thinking. And there's licensed people that have done terrible things. You guys know this to students. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the big rebuttal uh, that someone would say, Hey, we can't just let anybody go in there and teach kids. Well, just have some, just have, a bare minimum, not a bare minimum, but a standard to show that someone is competent enough to teach this or teach that uh, subject. And, you know, there might be some people that want to be teachers, but they don't have the money to go to college. Um, might not be in a particular position to go to college, first to get that degree, then to take the praxis examination and you know other examinations there's probably a lot of people out there that love to learn and want to teach but um i mean some of the greatest lessons that i have uh, learned in my life have come from people who the rest of the world would say you know they're not qualified to be teaching that yeah yeah you know i i i don't have any real music degrees I do that's you know I, I never followed through with it but you know I make a living at teaching I, I do I agree I don't think getting a piece of paper from a school really makes me a better teacher uh, and it, we need to open it up for with that occupational licensing or even like if there was like a guild system where doctors approved you know younger people so what were you talking about that cap on residencies is that something all over the place or yeah, it's all over the United States. Yeah, uh, last time I looked, a resident fresh out of medical school gets paid like $56,000 to $60,000, depending on state, city, hospital, you know, various things like that. But Medicaid has put a cap on residency slots. And so if we had more residency slots, especially for primary care, um, we'd be able to deal with this uh, physician shortage. Uh -huh. What was their reasoning behind that? Wow, can't remember what the reason behind it was. They they probably were thinking that it was going to be a good idea, <laughs> but then again, you know, this is speculation. Probably a combination of lobbying from big, you know, healthcare systems. That's what I was thinking. And, and politicians. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They, they want the, there to be more of a demand for doctors because if there's more demand for doctors, there aren't as many, they can make more money. Yeah. Probably the most crooked industry I can think of is the, is the healthcare system. Yeah. I'm, I'll try to shy away from just calling something evil, but I'm going to do this right here. <laughs> Our healthcare system in America is evil. Um, when it's your money or your life, <laughs> that's evil. That's robbery. 
Mm -hmm. Well, so what I don't like about the healthcare system is, you know, I'm a lawyer and if somebody comes into my office, I have to tell them exactly what I'm going to charge them and I have to put it in writing and give it to them before I even represent them. And if mm -hmm. I don't, I know that I'm going to get disbarred. I go to a doctor's office. I go to a hospital. I don't have any control over anything. They don't tell me what they're charged. Don't tell me what they're doing. They don't ask any questions about costs or let me know anything. Just two weeks later, they send me a bill and that's what I'm stuck with, which is uh, completely obscene to me that, that they're able to do that. Hmm. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, they can charge have... whatever they want. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't like the gatekeeping that is involved in our healthcare system as well. Um, you know, first you got to see your GP before you can go to a pulmonologist or that drives me nuts. Yeah. Endocrinologist. Hey, I've been coughing up blood for a long time. Uh, my, I'll just go to the pulmonologist instead of giving the PCP his cut and then he yeah. writes that script and then I go. I, that just seems so wrong to me. Yeah. If, if I, I, if, I, I had a, a situation where I was trying to get my mom to go uh, a doctor's appointment for something, and she had to go to a doctor to see a doctor, and then then they wrote her, uh, uh, they sent her to the wrong kind of doctor. So there was another month it took for her because she had to go back to the to the GP, and then so they sent her. So it, it took three months to get this one doctor's appointment. It, 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 it's just, it's ludicrous. When you need a doctor, you can't just go to the doctor you want. It's, it's crazy. They, I'm, I'm telling you, they better be careful. And I don't know, maybe there's some smart libertarian out there that might want to start some insurance company uh, that engages in medical tourism or start some <laughs> company that uh, engages in medical tourism. Some of the end caps, come on, some of the end caps, let's do that. Uh, yeah, I've heard of people going down and getting stem cell stuff in Panama and places like that where you can't get a stem cell treatment here on a lot of things. So, yeah, some people some people do, uh, you know, venture other places. Well, we have Dan Behrman, you know, he goes down to Mexico and picks up insulin down there and goes and sells it to people for the price he got it in, in Mexico, in Texas. So... You know, there are people that are pushing against some of this uh, stuff. If we could only get more people like you elected in the office that will, uh, you know, help uh, facilitate these kind of things. Um, you know, it's, it's the preacher in me that uh, first recognizes, you know, something in myself before I talk to other people or give some constructive criticism or coaching, I guess you could say. So here's my little coaching session for our party. Um, we we need to do a little bit less talking, more walking. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever we talk about you know abolishing the welfare state, as libertarians, we should already have in place or be showing someone that our ideas work. If you understand what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we have to start doing that. We have to start showing people that there's an alternative and there's an alternative that's already up and running. That's what people want to see. It's all, it's all about the way you present your argument. I agree. So uh, I'm, a, I'm ready to, this is, uh, you know, I, 
last week, these couple of weeks, I, I joined the Libertarian Policy Institute. And this, this is what I want to do. I want to work with libertarians to show people of America that libertarianism has a place in this country. It has a place, and it's a very American ideal. Yep. Absolutely. So if, if you know some people, send them my way. Let's start working on stuff. Yeah, you know, we got to get active in, in, the, in the community. Like you were even saying with mentor, you know, uh, help out kids. You know, that's one thing I've been doing, like during the, out here with all these lockdowns, I couldn't teach the kids. So there, you know, there's, there's some kids that, you know, their parents can't afford to give lessons or anything outside of everything. So, you know, I just help kids out, learn music, you know, keep them active. So they're practicing and that kind of stuff. So you got to, you got to do what you can do to, to make the community better and help out, help out people. You know, that's, I think that's the most libertarian thing you can do is to volunteer your time, not have government take your money and do what they want with it. And you never know whose life you might change doing that. That might yep. mean the world to uh, a, a, anyone, whether the child is uh, struggling or not. That means, mm -hmm. that means a lot. Um, you know, the, I read a quote and it says the rarest and purest form of generosity is attention. The giving of yourself to, to other people is the most generous yeah. thing you can do. Um, if somebody's a billionaire, yeah, they can give a billion dollars away and you know might not think anything about it if they got money like that. Right. And that could, you know, change a lot of things in this country. But going up there, rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty, walking side by side with someone, showing them that you you care about their lives and that you know what you think can make this country better, you're actually living it. Then we start seeing some real change. Yeah, that's great. So when how, how's the how's how's what'd you say? I said I just hope we don't fall off the edge of the cliff before then. <laughs> I know, I know, man. They're, you know, living out here in California, it's it's hard not to see the cliff in the distance. You know, and rapidly approaching. But how's how uh what what was it actually made you want to run for governor instead of waiting around to run for senate again or something? Is there something in particular about the governor that was uh, perturbing you or? Uh, you know, my platform for the senate. Um. It would take it would take some working to get some of that accomplished um, through the federal government. Yeah, that's right. Not to say that that's not to say that I wouldn't do it again, but that same platform could easily be accomplished as governor of Arkansas, particularly uh, you know my uh, big strong stance on criminal justice reform um, that falls under the authority of the governor. Uh, yeah. There's a Department of Health that falls under the authority of the governor. There's a Department of Education that falls under the authority of the governor. And so it's, it's just pure strategy. Uh -huh. uh, I'm trying to accomplish and, and make uh, you know, Arkansas a little bit better and freer. Uh, that's, just, that's just how it is right there. I just think that it can be accomplished more effectively as governor of Arkansas. Yeah. When, when is the election? I believe November eighth of twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Okay, good. That's good. You, you got a good, good uh, 
amount of time to build up steam. Have you got, have you gotten any, um, any very much press down there since, since you did so good with the Senate race? Yeah, there's, there's getting some press. Um, you know, right now the Democrats and Republicans are doing the primary thing and whenever whoever's going to be the winner of, and receive the nomination, then, you know, it'll start getting tough. But I'm yeah. going to make, make sure that they, they're not going to be able to ignore me this time. Right. They're not going yeah, to how, much, how much does the national LP help out with a candidacy like yours? Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of the, uh, some of the big wigs there at the LNC and they, they're all pretty much saying the same thing. Um, it's, and, when, and I want to be careful when I say this. As libertarians, we, we are underfunded. Yeah. Uh, that's just how it is. And especially when there's not that many candidates, but for the resources that we have at LNC and things like that, um, we, we just don't have the base yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's the main thing, but there was, there was a lot of help. Mr. Sawark, uh, came on board as, as a consultant for the campaign. And, um, I mean, really, it, I started my campaign with myself and a treasurer. That photograph of me by that, uh, American flag, took it on my phone, took it on my cell phone <laughs> and, and ran with it. And I hope that people can see that if you have a desire to run, just do it. Don't wait, just do it. Uh, Absolutely. Don't say, I can't do this because I don't have that. Go do it. And that will come to you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is really easy to, to get, you know, Donald Rainwater had the same, same thing. You know, he just, he walked in and they said that they needed somebody to do that. And he said, I'll do it. You know, and, you know, he got 30, he got someplace around 33% too. I mean, he came in second and a third of Indiana. So, you know, things are definitely looking up. Yeah, he had a good race. He yeah. Had a good run. That was really, that was really exciting. I was, I was pleased with that. So I was kind of hoping more for our, uh, our governor race out here in California, but you know, it is what it is. So. So do you have any, uh, what, what would be your uh, me message to, to Arkansas voters? You know, do you have a different message for, uh, say, people when you're talking to Democrats and Republicans, or do you just uh, keep it as libertarian as possible? Well, first, I, I hope that the people, they see me. Yeah. And what I mean by that, they see me as a person, as a, as a person that's trying to be their servant as, as elected officials should be. And I want them also to see, you know, some of the, the ideology there and have a discussion, have an open discussion about it. But I, I want them to know uh, that uh, they don't have to worry about me doing anything crazy, any shenanigans, because <laughs> this is something that uh, someone told me uh, in one podcast they said they were talking to their parents about voting for me. And their parents said, yes, we like Ricky, 
but we can't vote for him because we're too afraid of giving the Democrats control of the Senate. And so what I want to tell him is, hey, you don't have to worry about that on this governor race because there's only one governor. Right. And if you if you like me and you like the what I stand for, but you're afraid that if you vote for me, it might get the Republican, you know, you're splitting the vote. What are you talking about splitting the vote? One vote for each candidate as a system that we have set up right now. It's a popular election vote. Go ahead and stand up for what you believe in not on fear, but on hope, on what we can build in the future. Hopefully. I love that. Not fear, hope. That's great. And that's how they run in politics now. It's all fear. And, yeah, that's, uh, how, that's how Governor Newsom's out here got elected. I mean, all he had to do was say, you know, we're not Republicans. We don't like Trump. And, you know, people came out of the woodworks for him. What a sad state. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Driving down the street, man, you have no idea. It's a, it's a nightmare. Well, I mean uh, a state of uh, politics in America. Not yeah, 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 that's it. State. <laughs> <laughs> not a sad state uh, in California. I don't want to uh, <laughs> step on any toes. And no, I might like, a, I might like to go out, out here and visit. We got a heck of a mess out here to clean up, that's for sure. So do you want to give out your information where people can uh, find you, donate, and all that good stuff? Yes, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Rick, R-I-C-K, E, Harrington, H-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. My website is rickyharrington.com. And please make a donation. I need your help. Yeah, he definitely does, man. We need We need more libertarians like this. I will make those pennies stretch. I promise you, I'll make those pennies stretch. Yeah, you know, you know, libertarian is not going to be wasting that money. You know, putting it out there and doing the good, good stuff with it. Um, bare minimum, what I need to run an effective campaign and and make it to all seventy-five counties. That's that's a goal. All seventy-five counties. I'd like to. I want to have a town hall in all seventy-five. That's nice. Seventy-five counties, huh? Yes, sir. Man, that's that's great, man. I, I wish you all the luck, and uh, you, you know, anytime you want to come back, if you got some more stuff you want to talk about and get it out there, you know, let me know. We can get you back on the podcast, or all uh, you know, as the election gets closer, uh, see if you can save us a spot because hopefully you got a lot of press coming for you. Hopefully, I want to run this the best I can. I want to, I want to make them think twice. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah, you know, like another thing, you know, like people think that, you know, the, you know, just because, you know, somebody doesn't want to vote libertarian because they're afraid so-and-so is going to get in there. You know, we, 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 we can get votes from both sides, you know, that, that decriminalization stuff and, uh, uh, you know, war on dr- in, in the war on drugs, that, that appeals more from Democrats than it does Republicans. So, you know, I think everything we say is the best part of what the other two parties say that they want to be. You know, uh, you know, our our look at and your look at the war on drugs is better than you know what the left is saying, and you know those, they those pay kind lip of service. Hmm? So they pay lip service. Yeah, they do. They really do. There's enough. Yeah, the vote, the vote is there in both the House and the Senate to get it done already. The vote is there. How many states yeah. have at least? recreational medicinal cannabis 
Yeah, it's it's and, it's over. It's well over half. And beyond that, beyond that, uh, <laughs> you know, I just think the war on drugs is just terrible. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, um, do whatever do whatever we can to 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 bring that market in light. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Because you yeah. know, just like that story I told you earlier, that young boy that had short time and ended up in that penitentiary. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know how many different stories in all these different states look just like that. Yep. Yeah. The, the, those, uh, those unseen consequences, the people, you know, people on juries and stuff like that. How is, how is jury nullification down there? Is, is that oh, something? Nobody, nobody knows anything about that. I mean, unless it's, uh, you know, 1955 and somebody just killed a little black boy wrapped him up in barbed wire and threw him in water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's one thing we, we as libertarians got to promote is that jury nullification mm -hmm. in that war on drugs. But yeah, pe people knew how to shut the system down for that kind of evil stuff. It's too bad people don't learn about this other evil stuff and shut it down. Yeah, we, uh, it's, a, it's one of those fine lines because You don't you don't want to politicize people too much, because um, in that court you know you know it doesn't happen in the courtroom. There's a lot of times people don't get a fair shake. A lot of people take plea deals instead of going to trial, and and you know when they probably can beat the charges uh, more than likely, um, but you know someone tells them you know if you go to trial it's going to cost a little bit more money. Yeah, I know that, but don't lead with that, man. Come on. Right. Yeah. Over there in Indiana, they, you're, you're not even allowed to talk about the jury nullification, are you, John? So, yeah, used to, I was thinking about this after a conversation last time. You know, used, there used to be an actual jury instruction that said to the jury, you could argue this, you could say, you're the, you're the judge of both the law and the facts. If you want to decide to quit somebody just because you want to, you can do that. Uh, but since then, um, the instructions to a jury have changed. And um, you're no longer allowed to do that. Now it's gone so far that if you argue that, it, you could be violating the rules of professional conduct by even suggesting that somebody not follow the law. So, you know, the tide's definitely, Indiana does have like a streak of libertarian in it, but I think that's kind of been lost uh, for some pretty radical conservatism lately. Yeah. Well, that outside that system engaged in that conversation. Uh, for those that that can't do it, you know, professionally uh, under the instruction of a judge there. Uh, and I'm sure you know, Mr. John, uh, when, whenever that person on that bench tells you to do something, you got to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you can't criticize, I mean, you can't say anything. I mean, one, one of the reservations I had about doing this podcast is, you know, we can talk about the law, but I can't really give any opinion about a Supreme Court case or saying, you know, I think that this justice is is wrong or this decision is not well reasoned or whatever, um, because, you know, I, I would get disciplined by the Indiana Supreme Court. I'm just not allowed to say anything bad about uh, about any judge. So there we go. Land of the free. Yeah, the, the Supreme Court in Indiana is more concerned with obedience than they are 
than they are freedom of speech. So, but that's unfortunate, but that's, that's my profession, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, there was a, uh, Supreme court, not Supreme court. He was a justice in Arkansas, uh, Wendell Griffin. Uh, whenever we were having the executions there, he participated in some of the, uh, the anti, um, death penalty protests that they were having at the time. And he, he just laid out on the lawn chair, one of those completely ones that lay out. And uh -huh. had a, you know, they, they had a prop there of something going into his arm. And oh. they snatched him off of, of those cases. And, you know, he argued that he still, even though he's a judge, he still has First Amendment right to, uh, to free speech. All right. And I, I don't know the outcome of, of his case. Um, but, um, yes, I believe his name, Wendell Griffin. Hmm. Uh, that justice. I'll have to look that up. That's interesting. Well, did you guys have any other questions? Not really. Um, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Harrington, and good luck with the race uh, next year. Yeah, I'd like to uh, to communicate with you a little more, if that's all right with you. Oh, absolutely, sir. Uh, to, to all the uh, people that are part of the podcast here, um, yeah, let's uh, get to working together. Uh, across the states and, and put things together. Yeah, that, that's my that that's kind of my plan here. You know, I have I have this podcast network, the Liberty Blues Network, and I have three podcasts on here. I have my Libertarian Los Angeles, where I deal with all the craziness out here. Uh, this Liberty Blues is kind of I'd say more national, but midwestern. You know, because John and Steve are over there. And then I have uh, I have another podcast I do with my progressive friend, a progressive and a libertarian walk into a bar where we just talk about stuff from different points of view, you know, and drink a beer and talk about, you know, how we can work together and what we can't work about, <laughs> what we can't really get our, our minds around together. So, yes. you know, yeah, I, I would appreciate it. You know, like I said, you know, have, maybe have you on one of the other podcasts too, you know, get you on the progressive libertarian. You can talk to a, maybe you can talk some sense into some progressives. <laughs> <For me. laughs> I've been trying. It's just—I don't know, man. It's like it's like banging my head on a wall sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just might have to step away for a little bit, take a break, yeah. and then come back. Uh, and you know, sometimes those seeds—they take a little while to germinate. Yeah, they'll they'll usually bloom. Yeah, and at least it's nice to have a civil conversation with somebody that you uh, that you disagree with too. So that's these days that those things are more precious than ever because you know it's not a lot of uh, tolerance going on out there these days. It's not worth winning an argument if you lose the person. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch then. And I'll get you this podcast uh, out as as soon as possible. Yes, indeed. Thank you for having me on. Safe yep. journeys. Yeah, my Stay pleasure. Everyone. Health. Take care. And blessings. Yep. Have a good day and good luck.